Just cut the damn music. Just cut it. I am fed up. I am stupefied. I am done with. And I am flat out infuriated with these Falcons. I wake up on Sunday expecting to have a good day. Expecting to have a little bit of joy from watching some football. And all I see is incompetence, poor coaching, and an unwillingness to change aspects within your game plan to make sure you can win the game. Welcome to The Slip, an Atlanta sports podcast for the true ATL. And my name is Brandon. I am the host. You can follow me on Twitter at Barity and underscore Slip. And today, I'm not sure how much we'll get into any other sports because I have too much information about how the Falcons are just completely piss poor. They are flat out not fun to watch. And I'm going to tell you why. And by the end of this this day and the end of this podcast, I hope that you will realize that it all falls on one person's shoulders. Of course, there are more than one person who is responsible for this, but I can point to one main person who's in charge of one of the biggest downfalls of this Falcons team that absolutely should not be in downfall. I look at these various games that the Falcons have lost this season to where they would have won these games where they had more than a 90% chance of winning, they would be in the playoff hunt. That they would be competitive and they would actually be enjoyable to watch. But nope. Every single time the Falcons go up by a couple touchdowns in a game, I start getting even more nervous than I was if the Falcons were losing. Because at least if the Falcons were losing, at least I would know that maybe they would not have the heart to come back. Because that is the kind of team that they have showed me that they are. And it's all because of coaching. It starts with coaching. And if they were better coached in certain areas, you would not be hearing how angry and upset I am on this day. It's been a couple weeks since we've had a podcast because I really didn't know what to do. Two weeks ago, they lose to the Saints and then they blow out a Raiders team that seems to be going to the playoffs. And then they get outplayed by the Saints again in almost the same fashion that they lost in the first game. They almost had it. But one person is the reason why they did it. In the first game, you can just look at the offense. They had 83 yards in the second half. About 34 to 40 of those yards came on the last drive where they did not, they ran out of time. And that's the reason why the drive ended. Two out of the six possessions 
that that team had in that second half of the first game where they played the Saints ended in negative yards. Overall, in that second half, they had 83 yards. They could not move the ball, and it was absolutely disappointed. Now you could say maybe they had a better game plan on the Saints, and, and hopefully in the second time around, that things would be a little bit different. But it was the same deal. Matt Ryan had pressure on him way too much to where he was not able to get clean releases on balls. Seemed like he had a good pocket, but it just wasn't the case. And there's a few reasons why. We'll get that to in a second. Here's some other stats from that second game of why this team was not able to win. They were 2 of 14 on third down. That's not winning football. Matt Ryan, a former MVP, got played out that outplayed by a tight end. Matt Ryan averaged 4.4 yards per pass compared to Taysom Hill's 8.1 yards per pass. Matt Ryan completed 19 passes on about 30 high 30s pass attempts. Taysom Hill completed over 20 on less attempts. He just got outplayed. And that is unacceptable. That is not winning football. And this all comes to Dirk Cutter. Dirk Cutter should be fired. I said this a couple weeks ago to frequent contributor Mike Clayton. That if Raheem Morris had the nerve to fire Dirk Cutter after th that first Saints game, I would give him the head coaching spot job for next season right on the bat. Because at least he's trying to do something. But it doesn't seem like that's the case. They're just going to keep trotting out this guy who does not know how to call, call plays. How do you have two of the top ten wide receivers in the game and have a below average passing game. How do you have the inability to change up your play calling to try to relieve some pressure off of Matt Ryan? You know, what happened to hard play fakes? What happened to more rollouts to try to give him a little bit more time and try to get him a little bit away from the pressure? The two times that he, that Dirk Cutter actually called plays like this in this past game, it actually worked. Matt Ryan had plenty of time. In other instances, when Matt Ryan had plenty of time, Dirk Cutter's route combinations were clearly messed up. On the last drive... Of the, of the Falcons, or the second to last drive, excuse me, where they got it in the red zone and were not able to convert. But the only reason they got to the red zone was 
because of two amazing catches, one by Russell Gage and one by Julio Jones, who is definitely not over the hill. There were at least three plays where I can notice on TV, and it's probably more if you look at the All-22 view, at least three plays where there were two receivers beyond the 10-yard line that were ending up in the same area. How can a quarterback be successful if that's what's the nonsense that's going on? How can someone be successful if there's multiple receivers in the same area, which means there's going to be multiple defenders in the same area, which means there's going to be areas of the field that not are being exploited. And I'm sure if I can notice it, that it happened at least three times in that second to last drive. I wonder how many times it happened throughout the whole game. Ever since Dirk Cutter has gotten to Atlanta, including the last time he was in Atlanta in 2012 and 2013 and 2014 for that matter. He has shown that he is a play caller that thinks he's smarter than everybody else, but is absolutely more stupid than everybody else. He calls plays like he is some genius that is trying to invent the new wheel. And then he falls flat nine times out of ten. And you could tell that this happened on that second to last drive where the Falcons should have been in a good position to run down the clock as well as score a touchdown. They had a second and two on the 12-yard line, which means that they would have gotten their first down. They would have been able to drag the clock down to at least less than 30 seconds. Whether they scored or not, they would have had no time for the Saints to do anything. But you're hoping in that situation, of course, that they do score. And this is what happened. After a good eight-yard run on first down, they gave it to Todd Gurley again, stuffed at the line. You think at this point you're going to try to give him a pass play? Nope. You try another fancy run play where Todd Gurley tries to bounce it outside and ends up losing eight. Unacceptable. Unacceptable play calling. And this this kind of stuff that's the, that that Dirk Cutter has done throughout his time. Too many times does he call plays on third down and on fourth down that are short of the line of game. He calls plays like he's good enough to absolutely get the first down on fourth down. And too many times throughout his time, has that shown to be faulty, which puts Matt Ryan in a very, very precarious situation because he's trying to make plays that he can't. Matt Ryan is a very good quarterback. He is a quarterback that definitely has the ability to lead a team to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. And I think he's proven that before. 
but you have to put him in the right areas. You got to put him in a position to succeed. And that is something that Dirk Cutter has never been able to do. In 2012, you get the Seahawks game where the Falcons barely won after taking a big lead in the first half. And then you see the 49ers game where they are up 17-3 to and end up losing that game because the offense stalled out. You fast forward to this season, you look at games like the Dallas game, which although it did come down to a onside kick, it should have never come down to that. Because there were at least four different drives that were three and outs on that that game where the offense was not able to do anything and they stalled out. Now you look at me and tell me that that cannot be play calling. That's not the personnel that's on the field. We have seen what the personnel on the field can actually do. Cutter has shown many times that he is not the man for this job, and yet he keeps getting job after job after job. How can someone fail in Tampa Bay with an offense that they do have, and somehow he gets fired there in Atlanta and Dan Quinn has come over? Dan Quinn would still be the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons if it wasn't for him hiring Dirk Cutter. There is no reason why this offensive should be this bad. The last time the Falcons had a bad coordinator like this was probably Mike Malarkey, who was a really good coordinator for Matt Ryan during his first few years in the league. And here's some stats from that. In the four seasons with Mike Malarkey as a head offensive coordinator, Matt Ryan was sacked. 85 times. In the five total seasons that Dirk Cutter has been the offensive coordinator for Matt Ryan, which is not even five full seasons yet, he has been sacked 194 times. And you're telling me there's in some way that he can try to change up his play calling to try to get less pressure on him, maybe call some quick passes, maybe call some better plays that put Matt Ryan in a position for success, or is it the route combos that I talked about earlier? I'm not quite sure. It could just be an offensive line problem. But I tell you what, it cannot be an offensive line problem by having more than twice the number of sacks. You could also point to an inability to have a running game. Which is something that the Falcons showed this past this past game against the Saints. They weren't able to run the ball. And probably in Dirk Cutter's mind, that made the the play action plays null. Which shouldn't be the case because When Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator, no matter how the running game was looking, he was able to use that play action effectively. It's just something that Dirk Cutter has not been able to adapt to. Here's some other 
more damning statistics, if you ask me. After Kyle Shanahan was offensive coordinator, we hired Steve Sarkeesian. Under Steve Sarkeesian, Matt Ryan had 55 touchdowns, 19 interceptions, a 67.2 completion percentage, and 7.9 yards per attempt. Under Dirk Cutter, he has 44 touchdowns, 22 interceptions already in less games, 65.1% completion percentage, and 7.3 yards per attempt. That's over half a yard per attempt. Now, that doesn't seem that big, but that is huge when you're talking about completions and incompletions. This He continues to show in all types of various statistics that Dirk Cutter is not the man for the job and has never been the man for the job. The best head coach in Falcons history was fired because of this man. And I agree that he should have been fired because if you hire this man, you should be culpable for your decisions. You're listening to The Slip with Brandon Bear. Welcome back to The Slip, an Atlanta sports podcast for the true ATL. And I'm the host, Brandon Bear. You can follow me on Twitter at Bairdian underscore slip. This segment, we got some more Falcons talk for you. Because um, quite frankly, there's not too much Braves talk to get into. Uh, We're going to get into a little bit of Hawks talk later, and then we'll get into my final thoughts. But um, Falcons are in trouble. And we're talking about this offseason. Okay. This is a team that needs to retool, not rebuild, because they honestly do not have the caps. They are not in a cap position to rebuild fully. Um, There's going to be too much debt money if you try to trade or raid some of these pieces. And I think some of these pieces should be Falcons for life. And maybe that's the uh, Atlanta fan in me talking, but that's the way that I think things should go. That's how I would run an organization if I were a owner or general manager of a team. Um, People like Matt Ryan should be a Falcon for life. People like Julio Jones should be a Falcon for life. Um, And... You know, they have the talent to be able to have a say in that. They have done enough for this team. And quite frankly, the the dead money just doesn't make any sense to trade it away. So when you hear all those in the ESPN pundits and and Bleacher Report, um, you know, dwarps, honestly, that think they know what they're talking about when they talk about – Falcons or quite frankly Atlanta sports in general uh, you, you will not hear me agree with anything they say most of the time because they really don't understand what's going on with the Falcons so when I'm thinking about a retool it's going to be really tough and it may take a couple of seasons um, where if you have a really really good draft meaning an A plus draft in the first year meaning the 2021 season 
um, then you may be able to have a playoff team. Uh, right now, I think that this team does not have the talent to be a playoff team, um, or at least uh, consistently play like a playoff team. And next season, um, maybe a little bit of the same, because from my count, we have five different starting positions that need to be filled. And when you're in a situation like the Falcons, you cannot and probably should not resort to free agency. Free agency costs too much. It puts too much of a hit on your cap. That's why the Falcons are in the situations they're in now, because they tried to go out and and think that they were one piece away every single season, thinking they were that one piece away, one piece away. And then you get to a situation where they are now, where it's like we were never really one piece away, and now we're five pieces away for putting out a competent team. And when I was reviewing this, uh, these are the five starters that I think, or five starting positions that I think we'll need. Uh, first one is left guard. Okay, I don't think Carpenter is going to be coming back. He'll probably be cut. Um, even though he has been pretty serviceable this year at times. Um, but we need that cap room. And we also need to draft some more um, linemen to try to build up through the draft. Um, left guard, because Matt Hennessy will be moving over to the center position. I do not see Alex Mack being back. The next position um, is on offense again is running back. Okay. Todd Gurley is not going to be back. I just don't think he's worth any amount of money. I think that you can get a guy in the fourth or fifth round of the draft and get similar production out of him. I think that he's been pretty good. I think that he has created more yards than what the offensive line has given him this season. But you can definitely tell um, that he just doesn't have that burst. And no matter what he is asking for, I don't think he is worth that price tag. Um, and and you, you just got to go through the draft to try to get somebody else. The current running backs that we have, we have Brian Hill, who's a very, very good third string back. He's a guy that doesn't have vision, but if you get a hole, he can hit it hard. Uh, but I just do not think that he is a viable start under Lee. Another guy, Ido Smith, he's often injured. He's more of a third down back. I think that he can be explosive at times, but if you tell if you try to get him more than 10 touches in a game and you start running him um, through um, in between the guards, I just don't think that he can be as effective long term as you'd like. I think he's a very good running back, but I don't think he can have that sustainability that you would like out of a starting running back. So that is another position that I think that you need to go through the draft with. Now, when we look at the defensive side, that is where the other three positions are. And the first position that I'm looking at that needs to be satisfied is defensive end. Uh, this is a position that has plagued the Falcons for at least 
eight seasons, and that is because ever since John Abraham was let go, the Falcons really haven't had a sustainable defensive end, a defense, uh, a guy that actually rushed the passer. You know, you looked at Attack McKinley, and you think maybe he can provide it, but he was inconsistent and often injured. And you look at a guy that, and Vic Beasley, who led the league in sacks one year, you can say half of those were because they came off of poor right tackles, which is, you know, times when you're supposed to dominate. But six of his sacks that season came in two games. And a lot of them seem like not sacks where he actually beat the tackle, but because the pocket would just collapse and he just happened to be the guy there. Um, it seemed that any defensive end in that position, if they were in on that play, on how that that play went, seemed like they would have gotten the sack anyway. So in terms of Beasley actually being a guy that can make sacks, it just didn't seem like that was him. Dante Fowler has not been that guy this season. He's also been injured, but he just has not looked that good. He has not looked consistent. When you sign a guy like that, I think you should reasonably expect 10 sacks. We'll be lucky if we get five from him. That's unacceptable. So we're still looking for a pass rush. You know, it's it was scary when the Falcons drafted him because one of my worries was maybe he just was able to get the amount of sacks that he had last year with the Los Angeles Rams was because of Aaron Donald. And you're seeing that with Leonard Floyd this year. Um, so many people are able to benefit from Aaron Donald being so good on the interior that when you take that away, it, it it's not there. Now, we do have a really good interior defensive line then with Grady Jarrett. But I think it's safe to say that Grady Jarrett is no Aaron Donald, and he doesn't demand the same attention that an Aaron Donald does. And, and we're seeing that with Dante Fowler this year. The other position that the Falcons need is cornerback. I don't know if Darquez Denard is going to be back. Um, I'm not sure if the Falcons will be able to sign him next season. I'm not sure if he's even going to want to be back. But one thing that we do know is that Isaiah Oliver is not going to be a starting cornerback. So who else do you have? You got to go out and get somebody. And... That's up to three positions, maybe even four people that you need out of the draft. And you know that that's so tough to get. The main thing is you're lucky if you get two starters out of a drive or out of a draft. Excuse me. I mean, I just don't see a situation where the Falcons are going to be able to get five viable starters. And that's why I think this is more of a two, two offseason project to be a fully top-of-the-league kind of team. Lastly is safety. And here's the thing. Ricardo Allen is good. 
but that's just it. He's not out here making the plays as of a safety that you need. I think Keanu Neal has shown in the past few games that he can be re-signed. And I think with his injury history that we can get it a little bit on a discount. Maybe he'll want to prove something. I'm hoping that we can get him on either a two-year $14 million deal or a three-year $21 million deal. Try to get a little bit of longevity out of him. But for Carter Allen, I'm sorry, but I think he's gone. And who knows how... Um, the safety that's hurt for the Falcons who tore his Achilles is going to come back. It's going to be tough to see. Um, and due to those reasons, I think that's another position that you need. So that's five different positions that you're going to need next season alone. And expecting five quality, good starters out of the draft and or free agency is just going to be tough. But we'll see how the Falcons do that. We'll see how the new GM and the new coach comes in. Which brings me to my next point. There's been an article floated around by the Falcoholic um, that has murmurs that a um, that certain head coaching and general manager coaches and candidates um, will not like the idea of Rich McKay as the president of operations of the Falcons. And I just think that's nonsense. Rich McKay was here when Dan Quinn was hired. And in that season when Dan Quinn was hired, he ended up being the most successful hired quarterback or the most successful hired head coach of that regime. Of of that collection of people that that were hired. So when you hear nonsense and people saying that they don't think that that they'll like Rich McKay being in a position that he's in. I think it's just nonsense. If you are GM, if you're a head coach and you look at this Falcons team with the talent that they have, although there are some holes, as I just mentioned earlier today, I don't get how someone can look at this team and say, I don't want to be a part of that because of Rich McKay. You're listening to the slip of Brandon Bear. All right, all right. I think it's time to get into a little bit of Hawks talk. Uh, the preseason is around the corner. I mean, this NBA season came up pretty quick on us. Uh, but, you know, with everything of, um, you know, the season being delayed and everything being moved back, negotiations for having a 72-game NBA season this year, and, and they're only releasing half of the schedule up front, and then we'll see – um, we don't know if there's going to be fans, and there may be fans. There's not going to be fans for the first couple of weeks. Some teams aren't having preseason games. Some teams are. It's it's just going to be an interesting season. And um, I really hope that um, the NBA has learned from uh, the NFL and MLB on what to do and what not to do. Uh, because... Um, as much as I want to see sports, I hope that we can all see sports safely. That is the most important thing to me. And that is something that I, you know, I, I really, I, I really hope that happens. You know, I, I am a public health professional and 
some of the things that some of these leagues are doing, I think are just inappropriate and inconsiderate and just all about the money. Um, but these teams have always been about the money so that if they're going to keep doing what they're doing, I just hope that they're able to go about it in the correct way. Um, but not to get too off a tangent, I just want to do a little bit of an off-season review of the Hawks. Um, you know, I'm not sure who the guy is that they drafted. Um, he is a center. He's going to be the backup center uh, behind Clint Capella. Um, but, you know, they. I'm hoping that he'll be able to grow into a pretty good player. Um, but this is an offseason that you really haven't seen from the Hawks too often. Um, the Hawks are not always seen as a destination for free agents. And that changed this offseason. You know, even with someone who was older, like a Rajon Rondo, it's just interesting to see that he would actually choose the Hawks over any other team that would be interested. Um, so, you know, it's good to see. And I think that he will help out Trey Young by having a competent point guard behind him. Um, and then behind Rondo, you have Chris Dunn, who we'll see uh, come in and show what he can do. Um, but Rondo is also a, play, a player that can play with Trey Young, a guy that can set Trey Young up to be in a position to score. Um, so it's going to be interesting. And then you see them go out and put out an offer sheet for Bogdan Bogdanovich. And the huge thing about that is that he accepted the offer and then the Sacramento Kings decided not to match it. That is a shooting guard that's going to be big for the for the Hawks. And then they go out and sign a free agent in Danilo Gallinari, another scorer that's going to be huge for the Hawks. Because this is what this does. It doesn't put as much pressure on the young guys. It doesn't put as much pressure on a Kevin Herter who has shown that he has the ability to come out and score in big numbers. It doesn't put as much pressure on a Cam Radish. Um, it doesn't put as much pressure on the other um, second-year player. Um, I can't. I'm sorry. I had, uh, producers, what, what, what's the name? I, I, I can't remember his name, but we'll, we'll get that to you later. But what these moves do, most of all, it lets these young guys develop. And out of all the things that you need from a basketball team, and you have shown that if you mix in a little bit of veterans with a little bit of young people, that is a recipe for success. And the recipe for success is showing. Um, and this is this is looking good for the for the Hawks because even they're getting a little bit of love. From ESPN. And you know ESPN has trouble getting Atlanta teams credit for anything. Now, they only have the Hawks projected to be an 8 seed, And that's all right. That's a lot better than what they were in the past. Uh, they have the Hawks projected to be the sixth best offensive rating in the league. Now, that's offset by the worst defensive rating. But I think 
as these young ones grow, as Clint Capella is healthy, as you got a John Collins, those pieces together will show that a much improved defense, and now they don't have to be too much better defensively to help out. But one of the biggest things that hurt last season was that they were scoring a lot of points, but they were also giving up a lot of points. So if they are able to make that next step in being able to slow down other teams' offenses, then I I think that they'll be able to do something. Now, with some of these proven players, like a Gallinari, like a Trey Young, like a Bogdan Bogdanovich, like a John Collins who has proven himself to be a, a, a really good player, that if you combine all of those, that I do see a floor as an eight seed for this team. I think it would be a disappointment if they do not make the playoffs this season. As, I mean, most of the teams do make the playoffs in the NBA. I think it's generally disappointing. But even with the signings that they made and the progressions of these players, I think this is a playoff team. And now when I think about a ceiling, I think they have the possibility of a three seed. Because who else are they really competing with? I think that you can look at a Miami Heat who was floating all the way from a number two and a number three seed all the way down to a six and a five. I think you look at a Toronto team that was looking really good but also didn't have the star power. I think we don't know what the Brooklyn Nets are going to do. We do not know what Kevin Durant is going to look like. We do not know how Kyrie Irving is going to look like. So, you're te- if you look at me and say that the Hawks can be a three seed, I'm not predicting them to be a three seed, but I think the potential is there compared to what other teams in the Eastern Conference are actually looking like. And when I look at these teams... And I look at the Hawks and how they have gotten a lot better and how these other Eastern Conference teams really don't seem to have looked like they have gotten that much better. That really shakes up the table a little bit. So this is how I get my prediction of the Hawks may definitely making the playoffs and maybe even securing home field advantage in the first round. You're listening to the slip with Brandon Bear. It's time for my final thoughts. And this week's final thoughts is about Rob Manfred. And my question to him is, does he actually want to make baseball better? The news out of baseball and Major League Baseball is that there is no new news. We don't have any updates about the collecting bargaining agreement. We don't know how long the 2021 season is going to be. We don't know if fans are going to be able to be in the stands. And the biggest non-news of them all is that we don't know if there's going to be a universal designated hitter. Now, National League teams are advancing in this offseason as if there is not going to be a universal DH. But this shows once again that Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred at the head of it is always behind in this season, decision-making. This is going to affect the players. Yes, it will affect the teams too, but most importantly, 
they will affect the players because players like Ozuna, who was possibly an MVP candidate and maybe the number three hitter in the National League, is still unsigned. I don't get how baseball can continue to advance when there's big names on the market that continue to be on the market and may be going into the next season on the free agent market because teams do not know the rules and refuse to pay for a player without knowing the rules. This is a decision and a conversation that should have been decided even before the end of last season. We see that fans enjoy the universal DH, even though a lot of longtime DH people, myself included, were opposed to it. But until the decision making of Rob Manfred gets better, baseball will continue to be behind and continue to be out of the memory of people who look towards the NBA and the NFL. This has been a slip with Brandon Barrett.